Megillah Daf Yud Zayin Amud Beit, How to Change the Course of Your Life. As you can hear from the title of the shiur, this might be, from a practical perspective, one of the most important of all the matmonim we've had so far. Uh, and it's something I would urge you to not only listen to, but to practice, to try out, uh, and to forward this shiur to anybody you know that's experiencing challenge and hardship in their lives. It starts with the opening Mishnah of the second chapter, the second parak of Megillah, where we're told, that if you read the Megillah non-sequentially, that means you don't read it in the right order, you read the fourth chapter first, and then the first chapter, and then the third chapter, and, and so on, Lo you have not fulfilled your obligation, which seems to be kind of obvious, and yet the Gemara goes on and tries to work out how do we know this, as if the Gemara is somewhat surprised that if you read the, the Megillah in a completely mixed up sort of way that you're not Yotzei, the Gemara seems to be surprised. Well, that is because this isn't a standard law for everything. There are situations where it doesn't matter if you read it non-sequentially. As the Tosfid Reed said, says, When it comes to Kriyata Torah, let's say for Shabbat, if you read the Parsha of Shlishi, and then you read Rishon, and then you read Ravi, uh, the Tosfid Reed says, you Yotzi, you fulfill the mitzvah of listening to the Kriyata Torah. Uh, but not so with the Megillah, and the, the, the Ritva says, uh, even with Kriyat Shema, if you read the second paragraph, and then the first paragraph, and then the third paragraph, uh, you'll say, you're fulfilling the mitzvah, because it just has to be said, you have to have said and heard the entire piece, it doesn't matter in what order, not so with the Megillah, the Megillah is unique in that the order must be the way it's written, you have to read it in the correct order, the each event and each scene in the Megillah has to be read in the correct sequence. The only reason I found that actually gives a reason for this is the Me'iri, and the Me'iri says that If you reverse the order or you mix up the order of the narrative of the Megillah, there is no Pirsuma Denisa. You know already that for the purpose of reading the Megillah, we're told, is to be Mepharsim Denis, to publicize the miracle of Purim. It says the Me'iri, if you read it non-sequentially, there is no publicizing of the miracle. And that's rather difficult to understand. Uh, as long as you hear the whole story and you hear the, the, the highlights, uh, surely you can realize from there that, that a miracle has taken place. But this statement of the Me'iri requires us to redefine miracle. What really is a miracle? Now, of course, everything's a miracle. If you the way the world operates is a miracle. All of science is a miracle. Um, but those are the nisim, uh, nistarim, these are, the, so to say, the, the, the subtle miracles, the, the hidden miracles. Now, they're not obvious miracles because they happen predictably. A real miracle is something that is unpredictable and that happens against all the odds. But I want to take that a step further. A miracle is not just something that happens against the odds. That could, by some, be considered to be a coincidence, just a random event. Uh, and even though we don't believe in coincidences and random events, certainly from a secular perspective, looking at such an event, one could, could classify it as a random coincidence. What is really a miracle is when there's a situation that you need to happen, but it's against all the odds that it should happen, and you daven and you pray with all your heart, and then, against all the odds, your prayers are answered. That's a miracle. That's the realness. So tefillah, prayer, is part of the experience of miracle. 
And we've mentioned, I, I pointed out right at the beginning of this Masechta and the end of the previous Masechta, that these two tractates, uh, Ta'anit and Megillah, that we learn one after the other, both refer to God sending us a message. And we're talking here about national messages, but the same applies to individuals. God sending us a message through two mechanisms of national messaging. The one is climate, where there's drought and, and, and hunger, and the other is where the enemies gather against the Jewish people. Both of them are national messages that we're doing something wrong. They're national messages that we need to change the trajectory of our lives. And if we do so, if we, if we practice Teshuvah, if we do turn around and make changes, and we daven, we pray to Hashem with all our hearts, then there is a response. And we see that in the previous Masechta, the many cases of how the climate changed in response to the Jewish people's um, prayer and fasting and so on. And in the Tractate of Megillah and in the book of Megillat Esther, what we're really studying is how the Rebbein Shalom HaShem uh, changes the uh, the political situation of the Jewish people and the threats that we face from, from our enemies uh, as a result of, of prayer. And when that occurs, when the Jewish people turn to Hashem in prayer, and against all the odds things change, there we see miracle. If you think of the Six-Day War in, 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 in Israel, when the existence of the, of the State of Israel and the Jewish people was, was so threatened, and the odds were stacked entirely against Israel, and how in six days, miraculously, uh, Israel was able to re-establish peace and to, and, to re and to repel the enemies that gathered against it in a very decisive way. Uh, there we see that that was something respond At that time, and I was in Israel at, at that time, the prayer of the people, and it wasn't only the religious person, people, everybody was turned to Hashem in prayer because there was a realization that we needed miracle, that without miracle it couldn't happen. This was against the odds. When the nation pray, prays and Hashem responds with a response that is against all the odds, with a response that couldn't have been predicted, that is miracle. That is nice. And that is Pirsuma Denisa. Pirsuma Denisa doesn't just mean PR work, just publicizing the fact that, that many years ago there was a miracle in Shushan. What Pirsuma Denisa means publicizing the concept of miracle, publicizing the fact that every human being, and I'm going to show you that it's every human being, it's not restricted to the Jewish people, every human being can affect miracles, can create miracles, um, if, if they go about it in the correct way. So let's understand that, that and how it works. The um, there are two interesting psukim in the in the in this week's parsha in Vaira. The first one is at the beginning, before any plagues, Hashem says to uh, Moshe, "Lech el Paro baboker Go to Paro early in the morning. You'll find him at the river." And Rashi brings the Tanchuma there that says the reason he went to the, the the river was that that's where he used to relieve himself because he didn't want anybody to see him relieving himself because he had set himself up as a deity. Uh, and deities don't have to relieve themselves. They used to secretly go to the river and he used to do it there. And Hashem asks Moshe to confront Paro at the river so that he is exposed for the human being that he is and the fact that he isn't a deity at all. Uh, but that is repeated again after three miracles, after three of the makot. 
There's dam, tzfardea, and kinim, there's the blood, there are the frogs, and there are the, the lice. And after that, again, Hashem says to Moshe, Hashkem baboker, get up early in the morning, v'yatzev lifnei faron, stand up before in the front of rock, confront paro, hinei yotzei hamayma. He's once again going out to the water. And I've never really noticed the fact uh, that this is repeated again. Why we need, do we need to be told this again that he goes out to the water? We know the story already. And here there's a medrash which I've never seen. Um, and and um, th- this is one that Biderman mentions uh, this very week. And my son-in-law, Jared Duncan from Silver Spring, pointed it out to me. Thank you, Jared. Uh, an amazing medrash. Um, the medrash is, mm-hmm. When Hashem waits for a wicked person to repent, to change his ways. And they don't. There comes a point where even when they want to change their ways, Hashem removes the opportunity from them. And even if they want to do repentance, they've gone so far. One, one can go too far in sin, in wrongdoing, to the point where there's no longer an opportunity to do tshuva. And even if they want to, says the Medrash, Lasok they want to daven, they want to pray to Hashem, Einan Yecholim, Hashem gets in the way and makes it impossible for them to even pray. Kachaya Paro, here's the punchline. Kachaya Paro Lasok In this verse, after the three plagues, Paro decided he wanted to do daven. And so he went down to the river quietly where nobody could see him. And there he wanted to pray to Hashem, to ask Hashem to remove the plagues. And Hashem said to Moshe, Be careful. Go and stand before him, before he starts davening. I don't want him to daven. I don't want him to pray implying that that, that would be, seem to be clear that if he did pray, God would be, so to say, compelled to respond to his prayer. Paro is not, is not a Jewish person. Paro is not a, a righteous person. Paro is a wicked person responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and the oppression of a nation. And yet Hashem says, if he were to daven, if he were to pray, I would be compelled to respond to that prayer, and I don't want to respond to that prayer. So intervene, Moshe, get there before he does, and make sure that you don't allow him the opportunity to pray, so that I don't need to respond to that. And here you see the, that, that prayer is not just a religious experience. Prayer is built in, it's embedded into the fabric of life, and into the fabric of reality, that when one prays, Hashem responds. And even when that response requires a change of nature, even when that response requires something to happen, which is against all predictions and against all odds, if one prays correctly, and certainly if a nation prays, Hashem is, so to say, compelled. He compels himself to respond to those prayers. It's as much built into the laws of the world as as the law of gravity is built into the world. If you drop something uh, from high, it will fall down to the ground. That's the law of gravity. There's also the law of tefillah, that if one prays for something correctly, then Hashem will respond. Now, of course, we all know that many of us have prayed and haven't, haven't been answered, and there are many reasons for that. But what I want to run through with you is just what it means uh, to pray properly and, and, and get some sense of, of how to do that. What, what does that tefillah really mean? 
The first thing is this will only work in situations where the hardship and challenge we are experiencing is a message. There can be different reasons why we're, why we're experiencing hardship and challenge. But if the reason is that Hashem is trying to communicate with us, whether as a nation or as an individual, and we get that message and make the changes, then Hashem feels compelled to respond to our prayer. So it's Teshuvah and Tefillah together. It's the combination of uh, repentance, of changing one's ways, and of, of praying to Hashem. Um, and, and what I'll run through with you are six conditions of tefillah to be effective. The first condition is Kabbalat Olma Chutzamayim, that before you pray, you need to accept the supremacy of Hashem in His Torah. You can't be living a life that, that denies the existence of Hashem or denies the principles of the Torah and turn to Hashem in prayer and expect Hashem to, make, to do miracles for you, uh, miracles that go against all the odds. Prayer is always good, it's always useful, and it always helps. But we're talking about performing miracles, and to perform that miracle, the first step is Kabbalat Olmachut Shamayim, absolute acceptance of God and His Torah as the supreme authority in the world and in one's own personal life. Second, and linked to that, is a sense of anava, that one comes to it without ego. One comes to it, one's praying not only for oneself, but one's praying for something that is um, more than oneself, that one's coming with modesty, with humility, before Hashem, and asking for what it is that one's asking. Which leads to the third point, which is that one's prayer should be wrapped into a higher cause. One's praying not only for one's personal self, one's praying for one's family. I'm needed. Uh, uh, my family needs it. The, my community needs it. The world needs it. One To be able to link one's life <coughs> to a higher purpose and link one's prayers to the fulfillment of one's higher purpose, not just to one's own personal selfish needs. And again, tefillah helps even for personal selfish needs. But we're talking about miracles that initiate, about prayer that initiate miracles, and that kind of prayer should be a prayer that is linked to a higher purpose. The fourth, the fourth condition of these tefillot is, I get the message. I understand why this is coming to me, or to us as a nation. I understand why I'm finding these difficulties. I understand why I'm being challenged. I understand the message. I get it. My life is not as it should be. And that leads to the, leads to the fifth condition is, and I choose to change. I commit to change. These are the things I'm going to be doing differently from this time onwards, uh, because I get the message. I understand what it is you're telling me. And then to appeal to Hashem for help, literally with humility, uh, metaphorically on one's knees, to ask Hashem, please, please help me remove these challenges from me uh, and, and allow me to proceed with my life and to do the things I've been built to do, created to do, put here to do, to allow me to do those things uh, with all my strength and with all my capability. If one's able to come to Hashem with those tefillot, um, then, then one is able to affect miracle. And that's why the Megillah needs to be read consequentially, because you need to notice the correlation between prayer and response. You need to see first the challenge and the hardship, or let's start a step before that. First the prosperity, then the challenge and hardship, then the prayer and fasting, then the miraculous response. And you need to understand how miraculous the response was and how against all the odds the response was. For that you need sequence. To get the message that God is sending us, you need to see the sequences. 
What's happened over the last few months? What's happened over the last few years? What's happened over the last decade or two? You've got to look at your life as a pattern and see where the pattern perhaps has gone wrong and what I can do at this stage of my life to make some change uh, that together with the tefillah, together with prayer, could allow Hashem to feel compelled to, against all odds, change my situation, change the trajectory of my life as an individual or of our lives as the Jewish people.